So about eight or nine years ago, our family went on a vacation to upstate New York. Um, we went to Lake Placid and we toured around that area with the place where the Olympics were held many years ago. And one of our favorite things to do, especially when our kids were younger, um, when we traveled is to Google swimming holes. If you've never done this, it's really a cool thing. Wherever we go, we'll Google a place to swim. And sometimes you'll find a place in a pond, in a creek, in a river, and every once in a while in the ocean. And it's just you find these remote places to hang out with your family. So we were looking and Googling swimming holes, and as we were driving through New York around Lake Placid, um, we saw these teenagers pull up to this you know, little parking spot in front of the woods, no signs or anything, and they all jumped out with their towels and ran into the woods, and that always looks like a party, right? And so I looked at my kids and said, wherever they're going, we're going too. And so we pulled off, ran into the woods too, put our swimming trunks on, and we found this incredible river. I'm not even sure what the river was called. It was this incredible river with tiers of cliffs all around it, five foot, ten foot. 20 foot cliffs and our family just joined in the fun and we're jumping in and we're swimming having the time of our lives and up river about I don't know 75 yards there's a whole different level of cliffs and it really what it was was a waterfall and we're watching these teenage boys jump off and do flips and I, I'm not exaggerating you can verify this with my family and my wife it was about 40 feet high and these kids are jumping off over the waterfall into the water below flips dives and finally Jake who I think my son was about 15 at the time, said, Dad, let's go jump off the waterfall too. And now I'm an adventurous person, and I'm like, I am in. So we trekked upstream, upriver, we climbed to the side of the cliff, got to the top of the waterfall. Now you just got to imagine this. You're standing at the side of the waterfall, and it's just rushing over. It's 40 feet down. A couple kids jump off, and I'm telling you, I became a coward in that moment. I mean, a complete and utter coward. I mean, I didn't have any strength in my knees. I didn't have any strength in my heart. I just wanted to go run away. And I turned to my 15-year-old son, who I want him to admire and love me and think his dad has all the courage in the world. And I looked at Jake, and I said, Jake, I'm not jumping. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm not jumping. I am terrified. Dad, we have to do this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Now, don't hold what I'm about to say against me, um, but I was so terrified, but I knew I wanted to jump. I turned to my son, who we taught to be respectful to people and his parents. It was a big value in our house. And I said, Jake, I need you right now to call me. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what I told him to call me. There's a lot of different options. Don't assume you know what I, I Jake, I need, and he looked at me like, really? I'm like, really? Say it. Say it right now. And I, he said, so dad, you're, say it again. And I just thought, oh, I can't handle that. So I leaped off that thing. It was glorious. Just so you know, like when you do the personality um, tests, uh, if you dare me to do something, I'm off the charts on getting dared to do stuff, especially when I was younger, a little older is changing. And I flew down that thing, landed in the water, everything was fine, Jake jumped, and you know, we're high-five and we're hugging this father-son experience, and then Jake said, hey, let's go do it again. And I went, oh, heck no, we're not doing that again. <laughs> But, but I tell you that because you all have felt that, that thing that we naturally resist. When you know there's like this adventure ahead of you, there's this possibility, but we resist giving up control because once we're out of control, I mean, it's terrifying, really, isn't it? And what I think we all struggle with is this idea of surrender. Now, you may just say, Matt, I'm never doing anything like that. That's foolish. I give you that. But in other areas of our lives, surrender is so difficult. I'll, I'll take you back, Jake, you know, 12 years y younger, 
we're in swim class. He's just this little guy. We're at the Y pool. And the swim instructor says, all right, now, Jake, let go of your dad and swim to me. Do you remember these moments with your children? And I mean, he about choked me out. He squeezed me so hard because he didn't want to surrender and give up control. He wanted to stay what was close and comfortable. So I finally pried him off me and I just kind of let him go and he swam to his swim instructor. And think about it. That moment set him free, didn't it? Because the rest of his life, he would be able to swim. But letting go over the side of the pool or something that's familiar or something that makes you feel safe can be a struggle. And we resist that. But if you don't, we miss out on some of the greatest experiences of our lives. And we miss out on some of the greatest experiences of, with God in a world that God wants us to see and be a part of and understand. And we miss that. We'll come back to that in a minute. So today, we're in part two of this series called Grown Up Prayers. We're trying to figure out how to pray and pray like Jesus prayed. Because many of us grew up, we, we grew up praying as kids. Maybe you didn't, and we're so glad you're here if this is like a new experience, church and faith is. But many of us, we grew up praying something. But our prayers never changed. They stayed infantile prayers. And if you were here last week, last week Andy, he challenged us to think through this. Because sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we pray Wrong, And in fact, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was being followed by his closest friends. And they were observing how he interacted with the kingdom of God, with his heavenly father. And they realized we might be praying wrong. And so Jesus' very own followers came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, listen, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to how to do this. We're seeing something in you that we don't have. We need to learn grown-up prayers. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked someone to teach you how to pray? I don't think that's a very familiar thing for most of us. And if someone just came along and told us how to pray, we would probably be offended because we want to pray our own way. But man, last week, if you missed it, you need to go back and watch. Such a good message. We started to learn together how to pray like Jesus. Because in light of that question, Jesus responds. He says, when you pray, but when you pray. And this is kind of the how part and how not to one of the things he wants us to know is when you pray, you're not praying to impress people. You're not praying to make people go, oh, look how spiritual they are. Look how deep they are. In fact, if your goal is to impress people with your prayers, and I can tell you as a pastor, it's easy to get caught up in this because somebody will ask me to pray and it's like, oh, you're a professional prayer, Matt, so you should pray really deep and really big and like God is in the room. That's not the point of prayer at all. In fact, I would say this, some of the people that I've known to pray the biggest, most charismatic prayers are sometimes the people that we find out later are slipping far from God. But it's those honest, real prayers like the tax collector we talked about last week that just came to God and said, God, I just, I need you. He also says you don't need to repeat your prayers over and over and over. This is not a babbling contest so you somehow can say it enough that you get God to move on your behalf. And Jesus says this thing that's, it's a little bit unnerving and it's a little bit mind-blowing in light of how many of us pray, including me. He says, you don't need to say stuff over and over and over again because your father, your father knows what you need before you ask. Really? Yeah. You see, many of us were taught to pray like, God, I got to convince you. I got to move you. I got to manipulate you somehow so you give me what I want. And she said, well, listen, your father knows what you need before you ask. You don't need to inform your heavenly father of anything. 
well, okay, so if I'm not trying to get something from God in my prayers, what is the whole point? And Jesus says, that's first the point, that maybe you're praying wrong. You're not in trouble, but maybe there's a better way to approach God. And he says, okay, in light of that, he says, when you pray, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. And this is an interesting um, you know, encouragement from Jesus to get alone. Now, that doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with praying in your small groups or for us to pray together in church and we're all together. But this is that daily prayer that I think we all need. Get alone, get isolated. And you need to know 2,000 years ago when he said this, when the weather was not warm out, it was very hard to get alone because they had very small houses. They did not have doors between the rooms. If they did, they were cloths or blankets. It was hard to get isolated. But he said, listen, I want you to get to a place where you do not get distracted by anything else but you talking to your heavenly father. And he goes on, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Now let's just acknowledge this. The unseen part is why prayer is hard for many of us because we don't see God in the physical sense like they got to see Jesus. And this is where it gets maybe a little bit offensive for some people because there's a tension for some of us, for some of you. Now I will admit when Jesus says pray to your heavenly father, for me I'm like, yeah, I had a great father respected my dad. My dad loved me and my sister, my mom, and he loved Jesus. Man, I, I get it. My dad was a good father. Now, you may have gotten hung up on this and like, listen, I don't even want to think of God as a man and I don't want him to think of him as a father because that just messes me up. And Jesus would just simply look at you and go, I get it and I understand it because we live in a broken, broken world. But if you struggle with the idea of God being a good heavenly father, bring that to God and let him walk you through that. Peter would say years later, you can cast all your cares to your heavenly father. Isn't that cool? Like whatever you want to say to God, you bring it to God and you cast all your cares on him. But be close to your father in the heaven. And he goes on, this. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This powerful idea of God, I recognize you're a big, great God. You're God creator. You're God that's infinite. God, you are so big and I'm so very little, tiny, small person on this planet. And God, you're glorious and you're wonderful and you're perfect. And I am so broken. I am so not perfect. I am in so need of your forgiveness and your love because I'm a sinful man or a sinful woman. By the way, um, this Wednesday at seven o'clock, we're having that night of worship here, right back here. Would love for everybody to show up. It's only gonna be in person. And we're gonna spend the whole evening thinking about a great, big, glorious God and how we come in connection with him. Because our God, he's infinite and he's intimate. Think about that. He's infinite and he's intimate. In, in, intimate, say that the right way. And you can't rush past this. In fact, I would say when you pray tomorrow morning, you wake up and you get alone, which I hope you're doing. I hope you just spend some time going, you're a great big God and I'm just this little, little person, but you love me. And then Jesus gives us the purpose for prayer. He said, how will be your name? Your, how will be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, God, in my life, and I realize if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may not be ready to say this prayer. I just want you to know you will always be invited to this. But as Christians, followers of Jesus, this is the point. Your will be done in my life, God. Every part of it. What you say rules my life because I know you love me and you're a great big God. In all my plans, and I got plans. I got plans for vacation, my career, my kids. In my plans, I want your will to be done in my relationships with my wife and my kids 
my neighbor who I can't stand, your will be done, and that in my schedule, God, I'm gonna decide where I spend my time this week. And I may or not show up to my small group or volunteer, but you know what? Okay, God, I want my life to be yours. So God, just, I wanna go where you want me to go and not be selfish. In my money, your will be done in every part of it. And in that moment, isn't it true for like all of us when we think about saying, God, I'm surrendering everything to your will? I feel like I could go back in time sometimes and look at God and go what I said to Jake. God, I'm not jumping. I don't wanna do that. It's terrifying. Because if I say your will be done, you're gonna ask me to do things that are uncomfortable, sacrificial, because I want control of my life. In fact, as Americans, and I'm glad we have all the freedoms we have, isn't this kind of our motto? I want control of my life. Well, Jesus invites us to be open-handed with our heavenly Father. God, your bid is what I'm doing in this world. And it might require me to jump and be scared and sacrifice, but I'm doing it. And here's what I love. Peter and John and Matthew that wrote this down, they decided to surrender their entire will to God. And they would say years later, Jesus' mom, Mary, years later, it's the best decision we did. Not just for the kingdom of God, but for us also. And we thought we were giving everything up, but we found life in it. And this is, my friends, this is where deep faith comes in. If you've been around here very long, um, you know that one of the things I just get driven crazy by is Christians going, hey, I just want to go deeper. I just want to go deeper. I just want to go deeper, right? Which often means I just want to learn more. I just want to learn more nuances. And we're in an age today, you can learn all the nuances you want with the click of a button on your phone. But if you want deep faith, You keep learning all you need to learn, but if you want deep faith, it's about God, your will be done in me. And the struggle for me, and I'm guessing maybe the struggle for you, is that we don't come to God to surrender. We come to God to be rescued. Isn't that true? Now, if you're in a place where you need to be rescued, call out for God today, he'll be there. But the call of following Jesus is to surrender to his will, not just know more Stuff And here's the cool part. In the end, we avoid things in our lives and we dodge bullets that would have hurt us. And in the end, we look back and go, you know what? Following Jesus was the best move we ever made. And it brought glory to him. So this is all about the purpose of prayer Jesus is explaining to us. Just so we all understand the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to align our wills to God's will surrender, not impose my will on God. And we all do this. I, and I probably did this this week. God, I need you. I need you. I need you to do this. Okay, God, I need you to do this in me is where I need to start every week. So last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, I hope you watched the message. We were challenged to declare, declare his greatness, great big God, and surrender to his will over Ours. God, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom first. So that's where, that's where we left last week. And this is, this is big. And I hope you all did that. And if you didn't, it's okay. But this would be a great thing for you to do today or start tomorrow. Just declare and surrender. Declare and surrender. And then in this prayer, Jesus pivots. He pivots in this other direction. He says, all right, in light of that, after you say that, after you talk to God about that, tell God, give us today. And we all go, okay, finally. It's not about God, it's about me, which is why I came to pray anyway. But this is not about prayer requests. And the next part of this precious little instruction on prayer, Jesus gives us three prayers of surrender. 
And the first prayer of surrender is surrender the provisions that we all so desperately need. And this is what Jesus tells us. He says, and let a provision give us today our daily bread. Now you've heard that and I've heard that my whole life. Many of you have. Um, and for us, the truth is, as Americans, this is really not a worry. Can I, can I ask you a question? Did anybody wake up really early and say, God, oh, I hope I get to eat one meal today, right? In fact, most of us realize we're going to eat too many meals and we're trying to figure out how not to eat so many meals. And the history of this, this goes all the way back to the Jewish people as they're wandering in the wilderness you may know this story as Moses was leading them to the promised land. And every day, these Jewish people would wake up and they'd say, all right, Lord, give us our daily bread. And literally, bread from heaven would fall. And every day they'd say this same prayer, God, we need enough for today. And what God was teaching the Israelite people in that moment was every day you need to be dependent upon me for just one more day. Because a day is coming. When you hit the promised land and you'll have more than enough, you'll look around and you have everything you could ever dreamt of. And in those days, I don't want you to forget to be dependent upon me. So what I want you to do every day, Jesus is telling us, is declare our dependence upon him because there's a day coming. And some of you may be there today. There's a day coming, if it's not today, that you might be dependent on God for something really big that you didn't see coming, like your health. One day you might wake up and you might get a doctor's call and he's like, oh, we're facing a whole new battle. And in that moment, I want you to be prepared for dependency upon me ahead of time. Your finances may hit a rocky road. And in that moment, I want you to already be ready to trust me before you ever hit that point. You know this in a marriage relationship. You never know when the next hard season's going to come. And in that moment, instead of just bailing on what you said you know, was God and what God brought together in your marriage, I want you to be so dependent upon God, instead of just bailing or running away or running to another person, I want you to be so dependent upon God that you work at it and stick with it and stick to it. Because some things are going to be out of our control in this world. And our daily bread, our dependence on him for our daily bread is a reminder that we never can get too far away of needing God in the moment. Never forget. And again, it's so hard. This is so difficult in our culture. And I, I love our culture. And I love the country we live in. But it's so hard, right? We have so much. It's easy to become ungrateful because it's always there for us. It's so interesting, you can flip back to the ancient Hebrew scriptures, we call it the Old Testament, and Solomon writes something very interesting that I think goes along with this well. In Proverbs chapter 38, Solomon says, God, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, now think about this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, do not make me rich. I mean, that's not a prayer we normally are gonna pray, but look at his reasoning. But give me only my daily bread. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. I just want to be in a place where I lean on you every day. But then he goes on and explains this. Otherwise, in light of that, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? It's not hard to do that. When you have everything, it's easy to go, well, I don't need God. I mean, I'm going to need him if I get sick or, you know, there's a problem with my kid. Then I'll call on God. But when we have so much, it's hard to remember that we're relying and depending on God for everything. So God, don't make me rich because I'll forget about you. But God, on the other hand, don't let me be poor. Back up a slide just a second. And steal. Isn't that interesting? Don't let me be so needy, God, 
that I, have to th- that I have to think I need to take matters into my own hands and dishonor the name of my God. God, don't give me so much that I'll forget about you and don't let me be so poor that I have to think I'm controlling my own life and steal from other people and dishonor you that way. But God, give me my daily bread. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of the background between what, behind what Jesus is saying of be dependent on your daily bread from me. Provision. It's a powerful thing. And we're going to look at these three words. If we put them up on the screen, there's provision, there's pardon and protection. Now, when we think about pardon, this is probably the prayer we probably pray most. So this is the pardon surrender prayer. And this is the one I'm telling you before we even get in here, you may be tempted to never come back to our church again. Just know that. When I was working on that this, this, this week, I thought this is just really difficult. Because Jesus says now when it comes to pardon and forgive us, our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this whole idea of forgive our debts is the prayer that I think a lot of us grew up being taught to pray, and it's a good prayer. Every day it should be good to wake up and say, God, just forgive me, I I, I didn't get it right yesterday, I'm sure I sinned, I can tell you the specific things I've sinned, Um, and God, I just need you to know I, I need your forgiveness once again. But the second part of this, I'm not sure we were taught all that well, at least in the culture I grew up in, and forgive those who trespass against us. There's a catch to this. Jesus says, listen, I want you to be forgiven, but I want you to think about the forgiveness you receive from me and give it to other people. And when you think about the people that have trespassed against you, I'm going to ask you to surrender Because it's not the right step, it's not the right path to ask for forgiveness, but be unwilling to give forgiveness to other people. The Apostle Paul would come along years later and he would say this to help us understand. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive other people as God forgave you. Yeah, but Paul, you don't know, you don't know what they did yet, yeah, but you need to forgive as God forgave you. And how much did God forgive you of? Oh, a whole lot. Yeah, yeah but, but Jesus, they're Republicans. How can I? Yeah, remember God forgave you. Jesus, they're Democrats. Yeah, I know, but God forgave you. But Jesus, they don't believe it. I know, I know, I know. But do you remember when you hung on the cross, what you were guilty of, including hanging Jesus on the cross? But God, you don't know what they've done. I know. But I know what you've done. I know what Matt's done. And my son hung on the cross for you. And he did it ahead of time. Think about that. I didn't come into contact with God's forgiveness for 2,000 years. But he waited on me to do that. And he just simply says, as you were forgiven, forgive other people. And our our challenge is we just like to declare our need for forgiveness and say, God, just, just get me right. And what it does in that moment, if it's just all about my forgiveness and no one else's in my life, it just turns God into a cleaning product. It just turns God into, I found this online, a crud killer. I didn't even know there was a detergent called crud killer. Crud killer. It's cleaners, degreases, and stain remover. Yeah, isn't that what we treat God as sometimes? God, just remove my stains, which is really a good prayer. Forgive me for my sins, which is really a good prayer. But if that's where it stops, we've missed the point of what Jesus has called us to. Because I just like to have a clear conscience. Let's, let's be honest. Part of the reason we follow Jesus is selfish in a good way. Is I just want to feel better about myself. I want to be forgiven. I want to go to heaven, which is totally good, totally awesome. Celebrating that for everybody in the room that's in that place. And if you're not, you're invited to do that. 
But if that's all this is, now God, I'm just gonna be selfish with it and just, just still being mad at my neighbor or my brother or my wife or my uncle, whoever that is. God's just a crud killer in my life. You see, we ask God to forgive us to restore a relationship between him and us. But when we forgive other people ahead of time, before they come and say they're sorry, it puts us in a position to live and emulate Jesus. And if they ever would come back, we're ready for that moment to be the light of the world. Now, this is the part I said you might feel like you just want to get up and walk out because right now, I'm sure some of you go, Matt, that is all fine and good. But if you knew my story, I mean, I know you got a story, Matt, and everybody else, but you don't know my story. And here's what I would say. If I heard your story, I would probably give you a pass and go, yeah, you deserve to be angry or not forgive them. The problem is, Jesus won't give you a pass. He'll be patient, he'll work with you, but he's not gonna let this go because to refuse to forgive is to refuse to follow. And his invitation to his disciples always, follow me, live like me, do what I do, and I forgave you of everything. So here's what I want you to do. I wanna love as you've been loved, and I loved you with my entire life on a cross. Again, I, I'm not sure I really want to learn how to pray anymore after I hear this, because this makes me confront some you know, ugly things in my life, and there's so much stories of hurt, but what if? What if it came to that point where those stories of hurt, those stories that you rehearse, you've talked to no one in the car about how you're so right about whatever that situation is, you could let that go. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? You think that'd be more for them or more for you? What if your wife didn't have to hear you complain about that same person one more time or your kids didn't have to sit around the table while you told that story and you just decided to forgive? I'm gonna be open-handed and let that go and bitterness went with it. When you forgive, you are doing for them, whoever them is in your life and you may not even know them. Them may be someone you watch on TV on whatever new show you watch. When you forgive them, what your heavenly, it's, you are doing for them what your Father in heaven did for you. And you're doing it ahead of time and not returning to it. It's surrender. It's the hardest thing, guys. It's the hardest thing for me. I think it's the hardest thing for you. And it doesn't make us a hypocrite. And you don't want to be a hypocrite. And then Jesus says the super challenging thing, as if this was not hard enough. He says, for, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But, now this is the part that disturbs me, just so you know. This is the part I would have left out of the New Testament. It was up to me. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's kind of a give and take relationship. And I'm telling you, I think I could theologically explain a little bit of this way, uh, this away, so it wasn't quite so bitey, but... I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna let this hang here. I'm gonna read this last part to you one more time because I'm also reading it to myself who has the same struggle that you guys have with this. He says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's serious. And I wanna learn to pray and act on grown up prayers. And this is Jesus's point. And this is the point that we have to like, get out of the body of Christ, out of the church. He's simply saying, don't be a hypocrite for Pete's sakes. Don't, be a, don't expect God to forgive you if you're not going to forgive other people. 
And it may take time and you may need to practice it and you may need to go every day, okay, God, I'm trying again just to forgive. Help me, help me, help me. And you can do that. But it's an attitude that we need to lean in. And here's the deal. I just think if this is hard for you or this is hard for me, we should get stuck here. Literally, we should just go, all right, God, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, all right, in this forgiveness thing. Give me my daily bread and forgive. And I can't go any farther. I'm just gonna stay here. Work on my heart. Work on me. Work getting me unstuck from this place because what I really want is I want them to be forgiven, but I wanna be free. And so at this point, you might be asking yourself this huge question. Hey, does prayer really work? <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? Jesus' version does. It's uncomfortable. It holds us so accountable, and it, and it causes us to be tempting again when I turn to my 15-year-old son on that waterfall that day and say, hey, I, I'm, not jumping, I'm not jumping into that. I'm not going this far. But when we submit to it and we surrender to it, and God, you're accountable, or I'm accountable to you, you're not accountable to me. Have you ever said that to God? God, you're not, I'm not holding you accountable, but I'm holding myself accountable to you, my will goes to the side. God, your will be done. I wanna be in the right place. Do you know what it's called? When we decide to live one way from God's grace and love, but we're not willing to give it to other people, it's just simply called religion. And haven't we all had enough of religion? Because religious people, and I can be one of these people, are hypocrites. They're hypocrites, and they leave unchanged, and they leave shallow, and they leave being able to tell you all the rules and all the laws throughout the Old Testament and the New, and they have so much knowledge, but they don't act on it. And we know too many, and God has called us not to be religious, but in an intimate relationship with him. And when we follow God, I mean, it gives us depth and it gives us love and we're grace givers to the world. And I'm not shaking my fist at people I disagree with because of this simple fact. When? When I focus on the work God has yet to complete in me, which is great in my life, I am far less concerned with the work he has yet to complete in you. Isn't that cool? Whenever I realize I'm so wrapped up into how everyone else is messing this world up, I realize, God, I need to think more about my life and how they need to get it right. God, I need you to do a work in me. And I'm gonna trust that you'll do a work in them. And if I can help along the way, I wanna help. But I'm not gonna be that religious person that drove you crazy 2,000 years ago. And I think this starts with forgiveness. God, you forgave me, so do a work in me that I can forgive other people, even if I disagree with them, even if I'm on a different side of the aisle with them. And then Jesus, in another passage of Scripture, he gets even more direct. Jesus doesn't play. I mean, Jesus is all about love. He gave his life for you, but when you decide to follow Jesus, he does not play. He says this, next chapter over, he says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly. It's a question I ask myself, not enough. Matt, do you want to see clearly? Do you, want, do you want to see clearly, Matt? Well, yeah, then you need to embrace the way of Jesus. See clearly, then you'll be able to remove the little tiny speck from your brother's eye. And this is the cool thing about following Jesus. He asks us to be a light in the world of his truth and his grace. But the truth is, and we've all seen this, we walk around with these big planks in our eyes, 
And we're worried about everybody else's little problem. And we hide our sin. We keep our sin from other people. We make excuses for it. And Jesus is like, now take the plank out of your own eye. Bring it to me. Come on, bring it. Bring it all to me. Surrender it to me. And it's a posture that Jesus commanded us to be in. Hallowed be your name. Be forgiven and forgive other people. So just to, just to go back real quick, make sure we're tracking together. It says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, our great big Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're a great God. You're infinite God. You're relational God. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth that is in heaven. You do your will in me, God. And I'm going to surrender. I'm a no-resistant person in your will. Just drive me to what you want me to be and emulate that incredible encouragement. Love as I have loved you. And then, after you declare God's greatness, simply be able to say, God, give us today our daily bread. This is how you should pray. God, give me my daily bread. I don't want to be so poor that I steal. I don't want to be so rich that I forget about you, God. Just let me be dependent upon you. Because a day is coming, God, where I'm going to probably be so dependent on you, I'm not going to know where else to look but you. And prepare me for that day. Then he says, this is how you should pray. And forgive. And forgive others. Forgive us our debts, because they're many. He's not finished there. He adds on, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's, it's like Jesus was just going, listen, I'm already counting on you doing this as my followers, but here's your reminder. And then the last one is this idea of protection. We got provision, pardon, and protection. And when we think about protection, when we think about protection, This is this idea of protection from temptation because Jesus says this. He says, and lead us not into temptation. Protect us from that. Lead us not into temptation, God. Help us to avoid that. And here's why. You can't lead us into it because we are more than capable of finding it all by ourselves. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I don't need anyone to lead me in temptation because Matt Brown can find all the temptation and dark things he wants, so lead me out of temptation. Now, we're gonna talk about that next time, but you gotta come back because we're just gonna lean into this last thing um, with all of our hearts and lead us not into temptation. So come back next week, bring somebody. We're gonna talk how not to go down those roads. Don't miss this week. But what I wanted to do as we wrap up the service today, I wanted to give you all a chance to say to God, God, I'm going to surrender to you today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if this whole new faith thing is new to you and church is new to you, whether you're online or in the room, listen, you can take the tiniest little step and just say, God, I'm not even sure if you exist, but I'm going to open up a little bit of surrender just to keep investigating. And God, if you're real, would you show me you're real in whatever way you choose? So that's, that's an incredible thing to pray in this last next song. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. I'm like, if you've decided Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I'm gonna invite you to surrender. I'm gonna invite you to surrender his greatness versus our very small stature in this universe. I'm gonna invite you to surrender your will to his will today. I'm gonna invite you to trust God for what you need today. Like, God, give me my daily bread. Lord, I don't want to be so poor that I steal. I don't want to be so rich that I forget about you. God, help me see your dependence. And then maybe the hardest surrender. God, forgive me. Maybe if you haven't said to God in a long time, forgive me. It's a good day to say, forgive me. But also, let me forgive those who have hurt me, 
done things against me. They, they believe in things I do not like or trust or I disagree with, but they're still your children. And let me forgive them. Do that work in me. In other words, I surrender. We're going to sing this song. It's called Enough for Me. And it's this idea that Jesus' sacrifice is enough. If there's anything in you, I'm just telling you, if there's anything in you that wants to hold on and say, no, I got to keep this for me. I got to hold on to this. I can't release it. Jesus would simply say, I'm enough. I'm enough. Do you have any idea how much I love you? I'm enough. And again, if you've never decided to put your trust in Jesus, he would say, I'm enough. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for these very challenging and very difficult words, commands of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to obey. Those of us who are believers in you, who follow you, Jesus, surrender our will to you. I pray you'd give us the strength to do this um, on the dependence part, God. Help us to see our dependence on you as everything. For those of us that need forgiveness, which is all of us, I pray we'd go to you for forgiveness. And it's for this very difficult idea of forgiving those who have hurt us, wronged us, trespassed against us. Give us the courage and the strength to let go, to turn it over to you, to do for them what you've already done for us ahead of time. Work in our hearts today, God, whether we're at home, in the car, in the building, work on our hearts. And let us follow you with an authentic faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.